Welcome to the Hills Baptist Podcast. We're so glad you're joining us as we see Jesus glorified, lives transformed and hope revealed in the Adelaide Hills and beyond. We hope you enjoy this message. John 11, 25. Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. しかしイエスは言われました。この私が主人を生き返らせ、もう一度命を与えるのです。Wtedy Jezus powiedział, ja jestem zmartwychwstaniem i życiem. I am the resurrection and the life. These are words of Jesus spoken over 2,000 years ago in Judea. Yet they bring light and life to all people of all ages, across all nations, through all time. May it be so for us this day too. And in the midst of the escalating crisis in Europe, it brings us to question how firmly we stand on Jesus, our rock, our resurrection, our life. It is a privilege and an honour to share with you from God's word today an exploration of another of the I am statements recorded in the Gospel of John. Now, there is a first time for everything, and at the 8.30 service, I was able to say that you were witnessing my first sermon, but you are first sermon take two. Now, my children may disagree, stating that I have been known to do my fair share of preaching at them, but this is the first time I have stood here to preach. I come with both joy and a sense of responsibility. Now, usually, when I have spoken out the front, it is to promote the work of Tear Fund. And often, I have used a live chicken as a prop, carried in this bag. On hearing that I had been invited to preach, a number of people in the congregation asked if I would include a chicken in the sermon. And I am sorry to disappoint you, But there is no live chicken today. But I did think that an egg was probably a good symbol of resurrection and new life. So that will have to do. So I grew up in the church and from a very early age, I watched my mother taking notes during sermons. She continues to this day at age 81 hundreds of notebooks 
and tens of thousands of sermons later. Perhaps she's even taking notes right now in Canberra <laughs> online. Um, I recall her saying that what made a good sermon was one with a th clear three-point structure. So, based on my mother's advice and her years of note-taking experience, I thought I'd better follow, follow the pattern. And since I'm a teacher, you also get a PowerPoint. So, as together we explore today's passage from John 11, we will see that Jesus is purposeful. He has plans. He knows the big picture. Jesus is present. He is with them and he meets us in the pain of our humanity. Jesus is plenty. He is enough, then and now. He is the source of life itself. It has been a pleasure preparing for this sermon, in fact, to see the threads of meaning that came as I saw one section of the Bible linking to another. So too, God weaves threads through our own lives, threads of understanding, of experience, of joy and of hardship, as we see one chapter of our lives linking to another. My prayer is that today you might recognise the threads that God is weaving through your life, that today you would be open and receptive to the stirring of the Holy Spirit, that you would follow closely as the Jesus we know does the guiding. On January the 23rd, 1999, a father and his two sons lay sleeping in the back of a station wagon on their way to a missionary conference in the district of Odisha, India, they had stopped for the night before continuing their journey. While they slept, their vehicle was attacked by Hindu fundamentalists. An Australian citizen, Graham Haynes, and his young sons, Timothy and Peter, died as their car was set alight. I and the resurrection and the life. Gladys Staines and their daughter Esther were at home continuing to care for the lepers in Orissa, where Gladys and Graham worked as long-term missionaries. They soon heard the news. Amidst the commotion that followed, the news reporters, the questions and the pain, Gladys was able to publicly forgive her husband's killers. It wasn't something I sat and thought about. It was something that just automatically came, she said on ABC Radio. Today, both Gladys and Esther were able to, together, both Gladys and Esther were able to move forward in forgiveness and continue to serve the lepers of Orissa. I am the resurrection and the life. Where is God in the midst of the muck? The death of a missionary, the debilitating impact of leprosy on the patients they ministered to. Our story today, another scene from the life of Jesus, takes us into the questions and confusion of a small community of family and faithful friends, where we see chaos embraced by divinity, 
by Jesus, by God himself. Jesus is purposeful. He knows the big picture. So let me set the scene. Now last week, Dave Shepherd said a good story is not just about having a good story. It's about how that story is told. So let me assure you, the gospel writer John tells this story really well. In the chapters leading up to John 11, Jesus has been speaking and ministering in and around Jerusalem. He finds himself being questioned and challenged by the Pharisees and the teachers of the law. They are now, more than ever, out to get him. Yet he speaks plainly and boldly, revealing himself to be one with God, the great I Am. He is God incarnate. Back in John 5, Jesus says to the Pharisees, Very very truly I tell you, the Son can do nothing by himself. He can do only what he sees his Father doing. Because whatever the Father does, the Son also does. For the Father loves the Son and shows him all he does. Yes, and he will show him even greater works than these, so that you will be amazed. For just as the Father raises the dead and gives them life, even so the Son gives life to whom he is pleased to give it. As you can imagine, tensions begin to rise. So Jesus heads back across the Jordan where he stays for a couple of days. While there, a messenger comes to him. Back in Bethany, a day's walk away in the direction of Jerusalem, his good friend Lazarus is very sick. In fact, probably by the time the message reaches Jesus, Lazarus is already dead. Jesus has a a divine foreknowledge of this and informs his disciples that Lazarus is asleep. In fact, he clarifies he is dead. However, Jesus says that God's glory and to strengthen the disciples' faith, Lazarus will be raised to life again. After a few days, Jesus and his disciples head back towards Jerusalem to the town of Bethany. This heralds the final journey of Christ towards his own death. There is fear among the disciples too that going back to Judea could risk their lives. The two days delay recorded in John 11.6 might have been because John was trying to point out that Jesus' journey to Jerusalem and to his own death was entirely self-determined. Jesus went when he was ready. He was not being forced or drawn there because of the pressure of family and friends. He was not being led into a trap he did not suspect. So now we enter the story. Let's hear the reading from John 11, 17 to 44. On his arrival, oh. 
On his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Bethany was less than two miles from Jerusalem and many Jews had come to Martha and Mary to comfort them in the loss of their brother. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him, but Mary stayed at home. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, If you had been here, my brother would not have died, but I know that even now God will give you whatever you ask. Jesus said to her, Your brother will rise again. Martha answered, I know he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. And Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live, even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? Yes, Lord. She told him. I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God, who is to come into the world. And after she had said this, she went back and called her sister Mary aside. The teacher is here, she said, and is asking for you. When Mary heard this, she got up quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not yet entered the village, but was still at the place where Martha had met him. When the Jews who had been with Mary in the house comforting her noticed how quickly she got up and went out, they followed her, supposing she was going to the tomb to mourn there. When Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if you'd been here, my brother wouldn't have died. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who'd come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Where have you laid him? He asked. Come and see, Lord, they replied. Jesus wept. Then the Jews said, See how he loved him. But some of them said, Could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man have kept this man from dying? Jesus, once more deeply moved, came to the tomb. It was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. Take away the stone, he said. But Lord, said Martha, the sister of the dead man, by this time there is a bad odour, for he has been there four days. And then Jesus said, Did I not tell you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God? So they took away the stone. And then Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this for the benefit of the people standing here that they may believe that you sent me. When he had said this, Jesus called in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. And the dead man came out, his hands and feet wrapped with strips of linen and a cloth around his face. Jesus said to them, Take off the grave clothes and let him go. There were many of the Jews who'd come to visit Mary and had seen what Jesus did, and they put their faith in him. We encounter here, at the beginning of the story, a very normal, worldly situation, one of confusion and grief. Jesus embraces this humanity 
experiencing his own feelings of anger and sadness, yet he is also completely with a different perspective. Even before he states it, he is already the great I am and knows the bigger picture. He knows that just as he is able to resurrect Lazarus and bring him life, he is also the very source of life, God with us. Jesus too will die and rise and bring eternal life. The miracle is taking place in order to strengthen their faith and to point to Christ's divinity, foreshadowing what is to come, Jesus' own death and resurrection, and the resurrection and life then available to us. Lazarus' resurrection would bring glory to God, reveal God in the person of Jesus. A pre-runner to Jesus' own resurrection, a curtain raiser to the main event. So we've seen that the timing of, to, of Jesus' visit to Bethany to be with his grieving friends is not random. He has not gone out of compulsion, tricked into being in the wrong place at the right time. His decision to go is deliberate and planned. Jesus knows that he's heading towards his own death. Through the raising of Lazarus, he will have another opportunity to demonstrate, to reveal once again that he is the I am, the living water, the bread of life, the good shepherd, the gate, the vine, that he is God himself. Jesus is present. He meets us in the pain. Jesus arrives in Bethany. He is there to be with his family. These followers, to join them in their despair and grief. Martha goes out to meet him. She comes to Jesus. One can imagine the desperation in her voice. Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Yet this is followed by such a wonderful statement of faith, coming out of a growing understanding of who Jesus is. But I know that even now, God will give you whatever you ask. When Jesus then gently replies, your brother will rise again, Martha is quick to acknowledge her Jewish belief that at the end of time, all believers will rise again. Jesus responds to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Do you believe this? A huge statement. A huge question. Not posed to a large crowd of religious leaders, but one-on-one -on -one with a woman. Jesus is the resurrection. It is for now he is offering her life now. We then witness the miracle before the miracle. In an incredible expression of faith, Martha replies, 
I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God, who is to come into this world. She glorifies Jesus, revealing his divinity. She heard Jesus say, I am, and she believed he was. Jesus is there for Martha. He listens, he talks, he queries, he understands. Martha has come to Jesus. Christ is at the centre. He is the I am. She trusts that. The miracle of faith is part of what was spoken of in verses 11 to 15. I'm going there to wake him up so that you may believe. Martha came to Jesus. This is an important theme of John's Gospel. In John 6.35 we read, Then Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry, and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. And in John 6.37, All those the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never drive away. Do we, and I include myself, come to Jesus? Do we turn to Jesus in our sadness, our grief, with our questions and chaos, our cries for justice and concerns for a crumbling world? Now it is Mary's turn. On hearing of Jesus' arrival, she quickly gets up and heads out to meet him. Mary comes to Jesus. Surprised, other mourners follow her. Now the emotions flow. Mary falls at Jesus' feet. Both women demonstrate great confidence. Like Martha, she cries, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Mary is weeping. The extended family and friends weep with her. Jesus is moved. Jesus wept. When we weep at the brokenness of the world around us, the pain and suffering, God weeps with us. He wept with Gladys and Esther Staines. When we think, you're too late, Jesus. Everything is a complete mess. There is no hope. Jesus perseveres, patiently knowing that in the end, all will be right. He is present with us. I too question God. Where are you? Why them? How long? Why are the unborn killed, humans trafficked? The environment pillaged, the poor and vulnerable marginalised, refugees detained and war filling our news. We want it this way or that. We struggle, we argue, we doubt. God knows our predicament. He is present, yet sees the big picture. His purposes are planned. He is in control. Isaiah wrote, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are my ways your ways, declares the Lord. 
As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. Jesus is plenty. He is enough. He is the source of power of life itself. Jesus, fully human, fully divine, joins Mary and Martha in their sorrow. He joins us in our muck. He watches, he walks, he mourns with us, recognising the pain, the chaos of life and the cries for justice. In so doing, he becomes our very source of life and hope. Some of the bystanders, in contrast to Mary and Martha, appear to be rather sceptical. Could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man have kept this man from dying? Is that us? Do we question the purposes and power of God? Is Jesus enough? Or are we looking for dial a miracle worker? Now for the climax of our story. Still with doubts and uncertainty, take away the stone. But Lord, by this time, there is a bad odour. One might also think this is humorous. The stone to the entrance of the tomb is taken away. Lazarus, come out. They believe. They see the glory of God revealed in the person of Jesus The events of this resurrection demonstrate, firstly, that the very presence of Jesus brings about and points to the big wheels that are turning in terms of our future and our destiny. His deeds are signs of the glory, the presence of God. The divine power to judge and to give life is at work. Then secondly, The pattern of life of all Christians is demonstrated by the movement from death to life experienced by Lazarus. Christians have already risen with Christ. This movement, only to be completed at the last day, has already taken place in regard to sin. The resurrection of Lazarus, therefore, is an enacted parable of Christian conversion and new life. John 6.10 declares, For my Father's will is not that anyone, is that everyone who looks to the Son and believes in him shall have eternal life, and I'll raise them up at the last day. And John 4.14, But whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up. To eternal life. Jesus is our source of life. He is plenty. He not only brings life by healing the sick and raising the dead, he is the resurrection and the life now. We see mirrored here throughout the gospel Jesus' words giving power and understanding, encouraging faith taking away tears, stilling the storm. And these are followed by deeds, 
signs of the presence of God, a manifestation and outflowing. To Christ's words, Lazarus rises. His words bring life. Jesus is the word, present at the very beginning of creation. The model of Lazarus is the model of death, resurrection and life for every Christian. Lazarus's rising was not so Lazarus and family life could get back to normal happily ever after. Rather, it pointed to the hope that we find in Jesus, that we too, in turning to him in faith, find forgiveness of sins and new life now, the beginning of eternal life now, hope in a broken world. He is enough. He is plenty. One must remember that Lazarus eventually died again in an earthly sense, but eternal life was his too. Healing and health, peace and prosperity, safety and stability may come our way now. Divine interventions may be witnessed by us here on earth, miracles and more. But our true hope is in the eternal life we have begun in Jesus. He is making all things new, starting now. Through him, we are empowered to move forward, to seek liberty for the captive, to tenant this earth with love and justice, until the dawning of the day when the king comes again. Jesus is enough, now and into the future. All our hope is in him. So how is this manifest in the here and now? Through the love of sister and brother, the community of Christians that rise up to be Jesus' presence in our pain, his love in our languishing, his hand in our hardships. We are Christ to one another. Even though there is doubt with our faith, vulnerability with our trust, and suffering before our joy, he is enough. Jesus declares, I am enough. He is plenty. John 10.10 says, I've come that they may have life and have it to the full. It is a now and not yet. The best is still to come. The resurrection ushers in hope. What is hoped for is true and lasting. Are we, am I, protected from hardship? No. Pain is part of life in this broken world. Gladys Staines knows that full well and lives to this day in the reality of the loss of her husband and sons. Jesus is in it all, yet above it all. He embraces our humanity and simultaneously releases us from the constraints of our humanity to offer us life that will not end, a life that is not dictated by our circumstances. John eleven thirty six and 37, we read, See how he loved him? Could he who opened the eyes of the blind man 
have kept this man from dying? If God can heal, why doesn't he heal in every situation? That's what they were questioning. There is danger that we may play off human life against eternal life. God cares about us as humans. He made us human. This life is important. It is a taste of the real thing. The story of Lazarus shows the crossover. Life as we know it is the prequel to the main production. Hallelujah, there will be a rejuvenation of the cast, the set and the storyline. Anyone who wants to gain their life must lose it. In surrendering our life, we gain it. No more are we dependent on circumstances to bring us peace and certainty. Instead, that lies with Christ. He is plenty. When I find myself frustrated and crying out to God, questioning his power to work, is he enough? When we become overwhelmed by our circumstances and wonder if things will ever change, is Christ enough? Or do we find ourselves relatively free from suffering, becoming blind to the suffering of others, living with a lukewarm trust in God, neither hot nor cold, self-sufficient, not needing anything, the typical citizen, in fact, of a Western culture, declaring, we are enough. Jesus declares, I am the resurrection and the life. When I came to draw my sermon notes to a close, it brought a grin to my face, when I realised that this Lazarus story actually captured the vision of our church. Because we see Jesus glorified. He was revealed as a source of life, God incarnate, his purpose. Lives transformed. Mary and Martha and the disciples had their world turned upside down by his presence. Hope revealed. This was the taster for the greatest event, that Jesus himself would die and rise again to bring us eternal life and freedom. He is plenty. He is enough. We'll end in prayer in the words of Julian of Norwich, written almost 700 years ago by this faith-filled woman of God. Let us pray. God, of your goodness, give me yourself, for you are sufficient for me. I cannot properly ask anything less to be worthy of you. If I were to ask less, I should always be in want. In you alone, do I have all. Amen. It is not always that we have the opportunity for quiet reflection after a sermon. 
So I thought we would make space for that today. So shortly, Felicity will begin singing, and others, a Taze song of praise. Bless the Lord, my soul. After a few repetitions, you're invited to join in. The words are simple and clear. Feel free to find your own voice, singing in harmonies if you like. Afterwards, there'll be a moment of silence before we sing our final song. Thanks for listening to the Hills Baptist Podcast. If you'd like to partner with us in developing and equipping passionate disciples who love God, love people and boldly share the gospel, you can do that at hillsbaptist.com forward slash giving. We pray this message has empowered you to live and love more like Jesus. Have an amazing day.